day job. Let's go. Look at me, Damien. The blackest day. Of the front time. As the stinger says, this is Blade Job, episode 43, best of the decade episode. Eric, my man, my sweet baby partner, partner of me, Steve Carly, how are you doing on this landmark milestone episode for us? milestone i mean it's not our it's not the first episode of 2020 but you know it's we're gonna be recapping the the previous decade and it's i'm doing great i too i'm doing great thanks for asking we are oh uh, yeah are you doing okay (laughs) i'm sick are you i'm sorry i'm in a fever dream you're you're sick and i'm i'm filled to the goddamn brim with taco but way too much taco bell I paid what is it about twelve bucks worth of like dollar item shit all for myself because I'm a fat idiot who that's twelve items dude. deserves to die alone. Well, okay, a little bit. <laughs> the, the, not everything on the dollar item is like, or not every dollar item is like you know, a dollar, so it's all okay. Weird. It's nine items. <laughs> it's around there. It's a lot, and it feels like shit every time, but I still do it. So anyway, right. we're talking about f- top five, right? Top five of the day. Yeah, of we're the doing. Decade. Yeah, we're gonna have. We're uh, we'll each give a top five movies. We got. We're gonna have our top five bloody wrestling matches, God and then we'll even do a, a blade jobber. We have two blade jobbers of the decade. We have a horror director, and a, a wrestler. So that's kind of what's on the docket for today. It should be maybe a kind of a quickish episode, but you know we'll we'll dig in deep where we need to. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Why don't we dive right in right now? Just get it done. Let's talk about the wrestling first. The wrestling events. All right. So wrestling obviously over the 2010s decade uh you know wwe i mean as you know they don't have a lot of blood anymore we've covered some bloody wwe stuff but nowadays it's pretty pretty tame the 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 life of Um, tv man i'm telling you it sucks all the fun out of it but um okay well let's let's just jump right into the to the top five um, you know, th- we actually mentioned this one a couple, I mean, this, this is so long ago that this actually happened. This was like, I think when we did last year's blood rage episode, sure. we kind of mentioned this match and it's someone you're familiar with, Steve, and it is Mr. David Arquette, David Arquette, of course, uh, you know, blade jobber, uh, uh, uh big fan of the show. You know, we, we love scream here on the show and everything and obviously we're ready to rumble. So. Um, but funny story about David Arquette, you know, he was actually the WCW heavyweight champion at one point. I, I believe we cover it back in that Blood Rage episode. But um, he got back in the ring in November of 2018 and fought Nick Gage. And you've seen the aftermath, right, Steve, of what Arquette looked like? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know the, the, he, the Crimson Mask or whatever, yeah. Yeah, he, he is completely covered. Nick Gage is, uh, so I'm going to briefly just jump aside here too and say, I'm going to give like an honorable mention to the, the promotion that put this on, which was Game Changer Wrestling. And they, they kind of came back into light in this decade, 2013, I believe. And Nick Gage and Joey Janela were kind of their, uh, pillars, um, of, of hardcore wrestling, kind of making it, uh, bringing it back to that CZW early 2000s glory. But anyways, Nick Gage fights David Arquette. It kind of turns into a real fight, and that's why it kind of became infamous, where uh, David Arquette was hit with a, a light tube in the head and sliced. And um, Yeah, it was, it was pretty bloody. Uh, 
pretty, pretty fucking bloody. So that was, uh, you know, I don't know. We might cover that at some point in the show. Um, there's not, I mean, there's probably more good backstory to it than the match itself, but, um, yeah, I think that's my, that's our number five. That was was November 16th, 2018. Yes. 2018. All right. Seems like it was like two months ago, but it wasn't. (laughs) It really does. It really does feel like it just happened, (laughs) but you know, it actually too, it kind of, you know, David Arquette, this was kind of his first step back in the ring after, for a long time. And this got him a lot of PR. So he's actually kind of doing wrestling, not full-time, but definitely on a part-time basis. And I think a lot of it has to do with this image that went around the internet of him completely bloody. Um, it got him a lot of street cred in the wrestling circles. Which is, to me, what is most important, right? I mean, that's what you want to yeah. build up as a wrestler in yeah. that sphere. And I mean, and it was a very bloody match, but the reason it's number five is because, again, it was kind of a one-off. And some of these other ones that are coming up are, uh, are pretty nasty. So, for our pleasure. you know, we're an equal opportunity blade job community here. And next, we're talking about the number four blade job of the decade. It's not even a blade job. Neither was David Arquette, though. We're talking about probably the bloodiest female match of the decade. And that's Candice LeRae in a mixed tag team with Joey Ryan. So that means it's uh, mixed gender for sure. those, for Steve, and for yeah. those who don't know Thank listening. You. Thank you very much. But um, this match, uh, she's fighting the Young Bucks. Yes, they're now in AEW. They founded the company. There's a massive. Um, she took a thumbnail, thumb. I'm sorry, thumbtack boot to the face. Oh, man. Love it. Um, Love to hear that. Yeah. And, I mean, we're going to be posting some of these pictures on our Instagram, so you'll be able to see all of these in their glory. Um, make sure to follow us there because that's that's probably the best place to see some of these aftermath pictures. Um, but yeah, so a, a thumbtack boot to the face again, not a blade job, but Steve, you've seen the you, you've seen it. I mean, it's rough looking, is it not? It is the it is true to the name of a crimson mask, very true. To yeah. The name. Then again, so was David Arquette's, but even this even more. Yeah. So, I think. I mean, all of these are pretty much uh, pretty much, I would say, true to the crimson mask, but. That's what we're here for. Um, I mean, this is a top five. This is top five of the decade. Um, but yeah, so this is a full match that you can go see with, with Pro Wrestling Gorilla, um, who had some very, very intense, hard-hitting matches throughout the decade. I mean, they're, they've been around for a little longer, um, but they, they definitely kind of <laughs> took advantage of that social media kind of Reddit community that came about in the 2010s, if you know what I'm talking about, Steve, like... Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I, I feel like some fandoms really blew up, and uh, a lot of the stuff that was typically harder to find became a little more mainstream. So, um, this this promotion, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, definitely benefited from that. And that was what this match was when July twenty seventh, two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. So we're not. Yeah, we're we're, that got, one we're getting a bit farther back. Yeah, and 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 next one. I mean, uh, we're gonna let Steve take this one because we've actually covered this on the show. That's right. Our number three blade job. Now, as I always do in this in this uh, this show, I never remember what episode that we allude to in the back. So I don't remember what episode, what movie we watched when we covered this one. No, I you, think this was our first like. Yeah, I think this was one of our first like blade job essential. Uh, just we just covered the match and that was it. Okay. Well, anyway, we're talking about 
Lucha Underground's Hell of War match from on September 27th, 2017. Yes. And this was special because, A, I remember a lot of it, which is nice. And B, it, it yeah. had a nice kind of, um, what do you want to call it? Like a triple, sh- triple shot of bloody matches. Yeah. Um, I remember because it was Kill Shot versus Dante Fox. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And this is good because they had three different kind of rules, you know, three different fights, three different rules. The first fall was no blood match. The first I, blood. First oh, blood. I said no I'm blood. Sorry. I was going to say, blood. I was like, wait, sorry, no, like the I'm Rambo movie. That's right. First blood. Because it's funny. I was, I, I said that and I thought, well, wait, that, you know, that makes no sense at all. Because I just can't read. It's uh, first blood. So first blood, which is the opposite of no blood, because that just means yeah. the first person to uh, shed Bleed. blood, to blood yeah, win, loses, I guess. Um, which is, you know, kind of goes against Blade Job only because it's, you know, usually for us when the blood starts is when the match actually begins. But what are you going to do? And then the second fall was the no disqualification match, with, which if I remember correctly meant, I mean, there's no no rules. You can't be DQ'd. You have to go yeah. until uh, it ends, you know, by any this, means this necessary. Was, this was the fall where I believe they, uh, they brought like, a, um, was it like a, like a barbed wire... Um, yes, on a, on a board, right? Like plank into yep. the ring. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which was the one, I think this was the one where they had like the band up top and like they uh, yep. got up top with them. Was that the DQ match? Yeah. That that was. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that was the, no, that was the ambulance yeah, match. Yeah, that was where good. They, yeah. Do you, do, okay. do you want to go into the ambulance so part the where they fall. throw them off? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yes. And the third fall was ambulance match, which of course, if you remember, because I ne- I rarely do, but is when the the match ends once one of the uh, wrestlers brings the other onto an ambulance, shuts the door, and that thing takes yeah. off. Yeah, but but the part you were alluding to was the uh, the part where they go up by the the mariachi band. That's right. And they they kind of do like a German suplex off of the platform through that big thing of like plate glass. Oh god, I remember that so well now. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And I mean in this 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 match, I mean it comes in at number 3, but it's um it's probably the bloodiest match that was on television because remember we talked about it being actually on El Rey Network and getting them in quite a bit of trouble for the graphic violence that was shown on this on this match so and in the, the l rain and that was um robert rodriguez right yes yes all right see so, yeah, i remember and luch in luch underground kind of like with uh czw is, is kind of a, a very much a product of the 2010s um you know it, it was founded i believe in like 2013 it's kind of on its way out it was it was a very cool idea but very much a kind of flash in the pan i don't know if they had ended up having a lot of legal troubles with contracts, and of course, it's kind of new. Uh, yeah, Welcome using people's future. likenesses, and it was it was kind of a mess um, towards the end. So we'll see if it continues on. But Lucha Underground brought us brought a lot of very bloody wrestling back, and um, I mean, there's some of these well, I think we'll definitely cover, especially the Mil Mertes, uh, Ray Phoenix casket match, uh, another women's match, Sexy Star versus Mariposa. I mean, these are some really, really bloody matches, which is, and they're really high flying, which I know you like, Steve. I do, I do very much. So it, I'm excited for that. Yeah, so it's a mix of kind of luchador um, plus blood. So I mean, it's really kind of, you know, I can, it's a, what I would maybe call Steve dream matches. So oh, I love it. We'll, we'll definitely of be, be covering those. Speaking of oh, dreams. Speaking of dreams. 
So we're going way back. Yeah, for we're going number back two the, here to the beginning of the of the decade. Yeah, we're we're talking about our number two bloodiest match of the decade, which I almost called. I almost made it the number one, and the number one is really a number one. Just more, we'll get to it. But this, we're going back to Hardcore Justice 2010, Tommy Dreamer versus Raven with McFoley as the guest referee. Um, this is August eighth. Yeah, I remember yeah, this, this is one, a good yeah. one. This is a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I would love to good. cover this on the show. But um, I believe that all three of them blade and bleed quite heavily. Um, you remember that spot, Steve, and I showed you with with Tommy Dreamer wrapping the barbed wire around uh, Raven's head. How could I forget? And uh, yeah, so there. This is a. This is kind of. If if you can find it, I'm sure it's well. I know it's on YouTube or, you know, Daily Motion or, fucking, Live Leak. Best you, Gore, you know. yeah, for sure. Yeah, go watch this. August eighth, two thousand ten. Dreamer, Raven, McFoley, Hardcore Justice. Um, it was a hell of a way to start the decade. And that, with the, with that, we get to number with, one, which is a good way to end the decade. Yes, and, and the reason why I'm ending, because, I mean, I would say technically maybe the previous match, number two, was a little bloodier all around, but I'm ending with Dustin Rhodes versus Cody, AEW, this past May at Double or Nothing, because I think it's, it's, giving me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's giving me hope into the coming decade that we will see more blood, because it was, it was a hell of a way to end it. Um. Dustin Rhodes, go ahead, Steve. Oh no, we're just gonna say uh, May twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. I like to yeah. jump in there with the dates. That's oh, my thank job. you, thank you. That's my job. <laughs> happy, to, happy to do it. Happy to do it. Also, again, just for clarification, we're recording a, a remote again. So I mean, we've right. been getting some good feedback. I've been hearing people kind of dig it. You know, we've been it allows us to put some more special effects and uh, sound effects, and we can clean up some audio a little bit. So. Uh, just yeah. So if there is some delays, I mean, I guess that's that's the best way to describe it. We're we're doing this over the internet. The internet super highway. Ever heard of that? Ever heard yes. of this internet? I've heard of it. I've I mean, heard I'm still on dial-up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on. Uh, I don't know what I'm on, but anyways, Dustin Cody, brother versus brother. The reason why I guess it's also my number one personally is because I think that it was just probably of all of these the best true match and probably my favorite match of the decade because it just was old school but it had a lot of good spots um dustin Rhodes looked like a bloody thumb in the end uh <laughs> it was it was pretty great and it, and it just showed that you know aew's not afraid to show the blood and that's you know they're the hot new company on town on the town and uh you know i think that we got a lot to look forward to but yeah that's that's kind of a quick top five of uh the uh, bloodiest matches of the decade, according to the Blade Job Boys, which is really all that matters, honestly. I mean, yeah, kind of I mean, cool. there's there's other bloody matches out there, but you know, these are ours, and these are what's 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 happening. So, Eric, so you want to get into some to, movies? Yeah, we we asked the same question at the same time. Let's jump into some <laughs> some moving pictures. Eric, do you want to go first for your top five, or do you want me to go first? How about you want to kind of maybe go every other? I. I Best of both worlds, my friend. I love you it. Want to, and then maybe do a. Do you have a? Do you have a favorite of the decade? 
Um, I wouldn't say I have a favorite of the decade. My top five is pretty much the five that I thought were the most effective. You know, and this okay. is in no order. I don't have like top. I shouldn't call it a top five. It's just five of my favorite. Five of what I think were very important integral horror movies of this decade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And mine are my five are like, like I think I've talked about this in the past. Like my my five are I guess movies that I find myself revisiting more or less. Sure. You know, for me, I think a really great movie is something that has a little rewatchability. So these are the movies that I think I've watched you know, three, two, three, four times over the, you know, since they've come out. So that's, that's how, kind of how I picked mine. Fair enough. All right. I guess I'll go first. I'm with the first one. Yes. Start. Yeah. So, uh, I'll tell you a quick story when I was in college. Ooh. So from 20, 2009 to 2013, every year, um, of, of, of college, I was able to see the, uh, newest paranormal activity movie and the opening night at midnight wow. at the local theater. That's spooky, uh, Steve. Shout out to uh, Celebration Cinema for letting me do that. So I can't put Paranormal Activity 1 as it because that came out in 2009. So Ooh. the best one, which is okay because the, the sequel, Paranormal Activity 2, I think is superior in every way. It's also, I think, in what seems to be the general consensus, the best of all of them. And I've seen them all. I saw, in fact, I went to the last one uh, in theaters in, in Atlanta when I was living there and I got a free yeah. iPad for trivia. So happy to do it. Um, I, I so, have you seen it? Have can you, you explain? I've seen it. It's been a long time. Can you give sure. me like a quick where it picks up after the first one? Um, boy, it's funny you mentioned that because I, despite the fact that this is the only one I've ever one of the few horror movies I have on Blu-ray, I haven't watched in a long time. If I'm not mistaken, it takes place a couple years, several years after the first one, where okay. a family has since moved into the house of the first one. Okay. The first, you know, the, Kate, um, and I forgot the husband's name. I just remember Kate because she's, you know, a uh, character that you see throughout the whole, you know, series. Um, but this is the one that I thought had the best, you know, jump mixture of jump scares and kind of dread. And I'll never forget, you know, you see these at midnight in a packed theater, of course, and it, it cuts to the scenes that are, that you know, are through the, um, the you know, the camera at night, and you can just feel everyone kind of. <sighs> suck in everyone knows what's going on yeah. it's getting, i love oh man i i have fond memories of that because it would happen every single time for all these movies you know, it would cut were, to were that you night. Ever, were you were you ever in one of the remember when these movies would come out they would always show the trailer yeah. with the audience watching were you ever in one of those or were those all <laughs> screener audiences <laughs> those are all screener audiences for sure but yeah it's uh it's funny yeah which doesn't happen too often these days but yeah, to me, the number two is the, uh, there's always that one, I remember that one scene where she's, uh, someone's just standing in the kitchen and then the entire thing explodes. All of the Oh, cabinets. okay. Remember that one? That's the that is That two. is the second one? That's the second okay. one, baby. Yep. I'd love yeah. that scene. Yeah, that's a fan, to me, this is by far the best one. I mean, I like them all. I mean, I know they get progressively worse, really, but I like them all, you know, so. Um, but yeah, that's, no, I... that is one of my top five, Paranormal Activity 2. I need to put, I need to find that blue right now. It's. Who the hell knows where it is, but I'd like to rewatch that now. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. I'm, I'm going to, my, my uh, one of, I guess the one I'm going to start with is uh, It Follows. Great movie. Um, shot near here, too. Yeah, I believe it was shot, uh, uh, my girlfriend Cassie Milford. says a lot of it was shot in, uh, was there a part shot in Clawson, too? I think so. Milford Clawson area, I think. Yeah. They're not so. nearby, but yeah. Close, yeah. I mean, in Metro Detroit, uh, Southeast Michigan, you know. 
by the but, way, uh, Cassie, not not friend of the show, but like the show's best friend, right? Yes, yeah. Also, happy birthday, Cassie. This is dropping on her birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Cassie. Awesome. Yeah. Very so, exciting. Yeah, so uh, It Follows is... Um, Directed by yeah, David Robert Mitchell. Ooh, look at you. I mean, yeah, I don't know all the directors. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you. you're here for that, Steve. Um, I, well, there's one, of them, there's one of yours I don't know the director of, but other ones I do. So, yeah, I'm here to help. Okay. No, I mean, I, this movie is another one. I think that it's it just really kind of stuck with me, and it probably because I I saw it when I was younger. You know, you, it was it kind of takes place around you know millennials, you know, people my age at the time. Twenty fourteen. Yeah, so you know, I was just out of school. Um, you know, this kind of took takes place with like that kind of slacker kids not really knowing what they're doing after college or maybe they're still in college you don't really know but still finding their um, way yeah so it just really resonated with me and it just felt like the there's something about just you know somebody following you that is very i think unnerving um and uh, again there's a there's a jump jump scare in this movie that mm, yeah uh and you know what i'm talking about with uh, the uh, the big guy big That's guy all in I'm the doorway say. yep yeah, that, um, that that stuck with me for a long time. And there's just several images that are very shocking. And I don't know, it was a very effective kind of... And also, kind of my introduction to maybe more of a slow burn type horror. You know, sure. I not really wasn't used to that before this type of movie. So it kind of preps me for the A24 type horror that we <laughs> see these days. The renaissance. Horror, I think horror is in a good spot right now. I mean, you're still going to get your, you know, early January crappy horror movies, but I think horror movies in itself are in a very good spot right now. But it follows. Yeah, I mean, this is David Robert Mitchell who followed this up with uh, last year with um, uh, Under the Silver Lake, which uh, was completely buried pretty much by A24 because it's extremely d- divisive. I never saw it, but I would like to. But it's like two and a half hours. That's a long time. But um a lot of people find it disappointing, but then again, a lot of people think it's a masterpiece. So welcome to David Robert Mitchell. So, um, but the movie has, you know, it, it's not, it's not subtle about it. it's the whole idea of it's a kind of like HIV or, you know, sexually yeah. transmitted diseases. It's kind of, you know, it's very allegorical to that. It doesn't hide that. I don't think it's supposed to be like this subtle thing at all, but no, it's very well done. Very good. Slow burn shot beautifully. Uh, some great characters. Micah Monroe. That's kind of her like breakout role was in was in that movie. So it's very good. So no, I like it a lot too. Um, you know, a lot of good shots of people standing on top of uh, roofs and such. So <laughs> yeah, very very good uh, music score. Uh, yeah, I don't fantastic. know. It's a lot of lot of good elements that I think kind of. I like like I said, it kind of I feel like brought in this. Uh, you like to say elevated horror. I know it's obviously not the first elevated horror, but it's a loaded it, term for sure. You, you know, it's 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 definitely kind of on that, uh, you know, that kind of indie horror that that kind of seem, seemingly exploded post, like in the past five years, you know, twenty fifteen on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of horror, obviously. I mean, the horror has always done the taken the idea of. Um, again, allegories and using allegorical kind of um, storytelling as horror, but I feel like a lot of that is heightened itself, and then I'd use that term again, but recently, within the past um, yeah. 15, 20 years, you get a lot of horror movies that try to be different than just slashers or that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, that's a good, right. good pick, good pick. Thank you, thank you. Um, I guess I will go now. Uh, so, 
Um, this there is you know horror like I said horror movies has been a you know we're in a good spot for it. Um, I think the past two years, including this year, has been fantastic for Stephen King. Um, I don't I've read several of his books. I've read from The Long Walk, Needful Things, uh, Thinner, some you know some some uh, well known and some more obscure crap. But I really uh-huh. haven't loved any of his books. I've like, I like I much prefer. I respect him as a storyteller and as a figure more so than I like to read his books. Um, of all the books that I've read, I think the worst by far was Pet Cemetery. That book is absolutely fucking awful. But, right. um, oh, I could not. I, I just, how anybody can be, oh, whatever, I'm not going to get into that. But uh, The Long Walk is the best one I've read by far. I love The Long Walk. If you ever is read that... The Long Walk, very highly uh, recommend that one. Is that the one with, uh, uh, is, is that the one that's based off of uh, Stand By Me? No. Uh, no, you're thinking of, um, uh, well, he, he wrote Stand By Me, didn't he? Yeah. It's yes. one of a, or well, is, it's called The Body. The was... it's, it's called The, oh, uh, the okay. book story's called The Body, but uh, no, The Long Walk is the one where it's, I think it's a hundred kids, they have to do this long walk, and if they, if they walk under a certain kind of speed, they get shot and killed from behind. Last one standing wins. He can, oh. And then the, the, the prize is whatever your heart desires. That's kind of, you know, you can get whatever you want. Very awesome. I would love to see an adaptation of this. I mean, I know there's been several in development, but it never really seems to pass. Anyway, long story short, it it uh, Andy Muschietti's it is my number two, really. Of and this two is five. it part one, not part not one. The it, not it uh, chapter two. It chapter two, or, I like a lot more than most, uh, but this is the part one from 2017. Okay. Um, I mean, this to me, I don't know. I consider this movie a masterpiece. I mean, a lot of people think ah, it's pretty good, but I think it's way better than that. I mean, you've got beautifully shot from a cinematographer, Chun Hung Chun, who's a fantastic Korean cinematographer. I think Andy Muschietti was hot off of uh, Mama a couple of years before, and I think he just did a fantastic job. One of the best kind of um, ensembles of kids in a long time. I mean, every one of them has been is an amazing actor. I wish I could remember all their names, but, you know, it's a lot of names, so. Um, yeah, to me, I mean, just the Pennywise, I mean, himself, the design of Pennywise and the acting from, um, oh, God, what the hell's his name? Skarsgård? Uh, yeah. Um, Alexander. Alexander Skarsgård, thank you. Yeah, I think that's right. No. See, I got some I got some insight, I too. Think, I don't think that's right, Alexander. Okay, maybe it is, but, yeah. Um, I think he does such a you know fucking remarkable job, and I, I think a lot of that bleeds well into the second one. Only although that one's a bit, you know, it's two two and a half hours, you know, or two hours and forty five minutes. Yeah. It's too long, and they try to fit yada yada. But to me, I think the first one is tight. It's legitimately scary. Um, I just you know I, I think it's so inventive the way that they have Pennywise be portrayed as this kind of trauma that follows everybody around and has kind of sunk itself into this city for you know generations well town that city but you get the idea so that is my well number two of five i mean you know my again no right but yeah okay yeah all right i mean yeah i'm with you because this isn't really my number four technically but my my next movie is um and I, i don't believe you've seen this one maybe steve uh deathgasm i have not that's the one i don't know anything about so deathgasm uh probably came out i don't know 2016 maybe 2017 um def- so uh, this one i'm going to mark too definite de- blade job approved you know complete super fun splattered type gore um for for old school horror fans it's very much a, a callback to kind of a trick or treat 
Um, and I'm talking about the old 80s trick-or-treat, not the anthology from... Uh, sure. The, the, even though that's really great, too. But this is, this is pretty much the uh, possessed rocker comes back from the dead. You spin the record backwards. Ghost metalhead comes and, uh, you know, kills the popular kids in school while the metalheads uh, try and get the, you know, quote-unquote genie back in the bottle. You kind of know the type of movie I'm talking about, Steve. I do. It sounds more fantastical kind of thing. Yeah, but it's very fun. Um, it has a killer uh, uh, soundtrack. It's got a lot of old school black metal, death metal. Uh, it's got some newer stuff. Bands like Axe Slasher and uh, some of these kind of more modern thrash bands. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just a really fun gory movie uh the music is killer i don't know it just really hits on a lot of levels for me in just the sheer fun and the the kind of atmosphere it portrays with the loser kid loser metalhead kid who uh you know it's just kind of looking to fit in and then uh ends up accidentally like killing everybody who hates him so it's i don't know it's a lot of fun like i said extremely a lot of practical effects um, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, memes from this movie that you may have seen. Um, okay. the one in particular is the kid, he's in like the full metal corpse paint eating the ice cream and there's like a cutesy girl eating ice cream next to him. Uh, I think I've seen and it, that. it'll say something like, I don't know, my musical taste, how I look on the inside, you know, some bullshit like that, but sure. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, it's, it's definitely a movie, I mean, if we were ever to cover movies from this past decade, I would recommend it, because it is so gory, um, kind of checks all the boxes for us, but yeah, I would definitely say check it out, Steve, it, it's, I think it's on Shudder, might be on, uh, Netflix still, but it's, yeah, uh, it's a lot of it. fun. Now, it's a good beer movie. Oh, that's good, then, now. Now, you, you, know may I mean or, you may or may not know that that writer-director has recently just released a trailer for his follow-up to that movie. And what is it called? Called Guns Akimbo, with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Samara Weaving, Reese Darby. Um, it's more of a kind of like an action gun movie. Kind of I, have, cool. I have not watched the trailer yet, but I saw it when it dropped a couple days ago, and it's funny that there's a connection to here. So. And it's the guy who did Deathgasm. Writer and director, yep. Same guy. Sweet. Guns yeah, no, Akimbo. it's a really... It's a good movie, so yeah, I, I mean, I'd recommend it. Uh, it's, it's up there on my list. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So I'll definitely look into it. Um, so is you know, I like to have a little uh, preamble before my uh, movie here. So uh, a lot of people, luckily, um, in the awards right now, uh, South Korean movie um, Parasite is kind of doing a lot better than we all expected, but it's very good because it's a great movie and it's getting a lot of awards and a lot of nominations. So, which is good because it makes a lot of people rethink the idea of, of staying away from foreign cinema because different countries kind of have their own niche and their own or niche and their own uh, strengths and weaknesses. So like, Oh, I don't know. The Italians in the seventies did really good horror. I mean, you've got, you know, to me, nobody does horror right now better than South Korea. Um, like, you know, you've got um, uh, Bollywood cinema does good action, does, you know, stupid special effects action movies. 
uh, depressing sort of melancholy drama. The Swedes do really well with that. The Danes, that kind of thing. So anyway, uh, South Korea is great for horror. The French too. The French more in the early 2000s. Now it's all about the Koreans. And they have I Saw the Devil. Kim Ji Woon's I Saw the Devil. Uh, I'm glad like, you put this on. I almost you, put this as an honorable it? mention. Yes, it's, I've seen uh, this. This movie absolutely fucks. It's it's pretty insane. It's it's a serial killer drama. Um, there is, I think, a couple of movies have kind of, um, you know, been inspired by this kind of plot where a man uh, has his girlfriend killed by this vicious serial killer. So he decides to kind of get revenge on him, but he doesn't. He at the beginning of the movie, or not beginning, but you know, in the first act, so to speak, he catches up with the serial killer, but he doesn't kill him. He just beats the shit out of him. He lets him go, and then the movie is him kind of revisiting him, recatching him, beating the shit out of him, you know, to the edge of life, and then letting him go again. So kind of tormenting the serial killer, and uh, the Koreans they just do gore and you know graphic violence way fucking better than we ever could, except for like maybe uh, F. S. Craig Zeller, who you know the man's love him. Um, so this movie is obviously very grisly for that reason. He gets you know I mean this is a serial killer. You see a lot of his kills and they are you know gory as all hell, and um, it's just amazing. And it's the uh, I forgot Chin. I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna slaughter his name, but the main guy from Old Boy. You know he plays the serial killer, and then the other the main police officer who is the you know, his his girlfriend he's a police officer he's played he was in a movie called the good the bad and the weird so two very popular korean movies they kind of get the actors together for this vicious and kim ji woon he's no uh stranger to this kind of genre he will uh, he's sympathy for lady vengeance and yeah a tale of two sisters i believe was him he does a lot of these kind of um I keep using the word vicious, but that's really the best way to describe his movies. I'm a big yeah. fan of his, for sure. No, and I think there is, like, a definite thing. Like, what you said, I think, was a great word to describe the kind of South Korean um, style of violence. It's very, it is very grisly. Like, it's very, grisly. like... Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's not, like... Um, like, it's... Like, it's... Not that... I don't want to come across as crass or gross, but, you know... On this show, we kind of celebrate special effects, and we, you know, we 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 look forward to the gore. But I think there's something about the um, Korean style, and I don't know if it's the lighting or if it's just the sound effects or everything. It just seems like you're literally watching somebody be torn apart, and it's very almost like like melancholic and sad instead of like. You know what I mean, kind of by that. Like you don't want to yeah, cheer the watching, gore in these movies. You're, you're watching actual anguish. You know, you're. It yeah. feels like you're watching snuff almost. Because I mean, a lot of Americans, we we would turn the camera away for a lot of the stuff and do a lot of it off camera. But the Koreans don't do that because they're better than us. So. Yeah, like it's just a very interesting style, stylistic choice to really show the gritty stuff. And 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 I guess in a lot of the movies, like you know, just for example, Deathgasm. You know, it's it's so over the top. It's like a cartoon gore where I think, yeah, there's something about the, uh, the, the Koreans. And, and I would say even the Japanese, that's a lot more like visceral and grisly. For sure. All of Asia just does horror much better than us. And they've been doing some great work. Um, a fun yeah. little connection. You know, I mentioned Old Boy, the main actor from Old Boy in this movie, directed by uh, Bong Joon-ho, director of Parasite. Very good movie. It's oh, not really? going to win. It's not going to win Best Picture this year at the Oscars, but it definitely should. But it's not going to. So, 
Yeah. And that's uh, I saw the devil. I mean, man, if you, uh, I'm telling you, you know, I'm not sure if you heard. I guess how could you have heard Bong Joon Ho's speech when he won a Golden Globe? He said that. Um, well, to paraphrase Grayley, he just mentioned that essentially Americans are we are, we are stuck behind a, a one one inch high barrier of subtitles in movies. You know, the idea that we uh, if we were able to jump over this one one inch barrier of subtitles, we could ex we could experience a whole vast world of foreign you know international cinema. And, yeah. You know, you're not going to have any, any any complaints and denial here. You know, any arguments here? I mean, I you know I love. No, that I don't. So, I. So. I, I, I... I agree with that as well. I mean, I I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of like I'm not going to go see every foreign language film like it's the I mean I don't even go see every English speaking film you know that so <laughs> that's my um, job that's my job so but no I mean I agree I agree and this is actually a movie you know I have seen and you know honestly I had see I saw this before I saw audition and stuff so you know kind of going back to the whole uh, why we hate audition so much it has nothing to do with it being foreign. Or anything like that. I mean, because clearly we both love certain types of foreign movies. And I would say that, I mean, I had I, always heard that a Audition was the most graphic Japanese-Asian horror movie out there. But I, I would put I Saw the Devil up there is not only the better movie, but I think the more grisly and horrifying movie, too. Because it's much I mean... more... Times that by and, ten. I mean, there's almost essentially yeah. none of that, and many of that in audition. I mean, it's one of the most tame, disturbing air quote movies I've ever seen. So I mean, it's it's um, unreal how actually. I mean, I saw the devil is what audition witches it was, and it's just it's depressing to think about audition because it will be trash. But I saw the devil is uh, the complete opposite in every way. So please yes. scope it out. I mean, good God, man! If I've you actually have to watch seen it the... dubbed. Go for it, but man, that's uh, a good yeah, movie. Yeah, well. I've actually seen the good, the bad, and the weird as well. Oh, see, and I haven't seen that. That's very fun. It's, it's kind of a retelling of the uh, spaghetti western. Yeah, uh, it's like a western. Good, the bad, and the ugly. Love that. Uh, I love when 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 foreign fun. markets try to uh, not try to, but when they kind of emulate American tropes, you know, and genre. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, all right, going into my next movie. Uh, speaking of kind of elevated horror, a little slower horror. Uh, not necessarily gory horror. My my next one, I'm putting the witch down. Um, Edgar, great pick. Edgar's great um, pick. You know this this is a movie that really really surprised me because as you know, I mean you could talk for days about this movie. I I went into this kind of not not a weary or. Uh, not expecting it to be good, but, you know, I kind of went in expecting it to be not my type of horror movie. But it really got to me in a way that I didn't expect it to. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just, um, it, it hit me with a lot of... I, I typically not someone who goes for atmosphere, ooh, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hard and, to and this, the atmosphere here. Yeah, I, I think it's the best of the decade in atmosphere. I mean, I, I don't, the, just the, the, the constant, uh, I, I don't know, it really made me feel isolated, you know, when they're out there all in the woods by themselves. Um, it's just a great example of using minimal production design to kind of get the point across. I mean, you know, it's, just, it's an incredible production design, but, you know, without, you know what I'm saying, like, I mean, for Parasite, they literally build the house that the movie takes place in, and it's, 
you know, perfect for this, but this is, I mean, just the way that they use the, uh, the kind of smoke and the, you know, the, the architecture, I mean, it just feels, and of course, Robert Eggers has that, I mean, because I finally saw the, the Lighthouse a couple weeks ago, I watched it, like, I think last week, actually, and Eggers has this wonderful, well, it's probably controversial, but he likes to use this kind of language and cadence and, uh, you know, accents of the time. I mean, it is, you know, it's obviously thick as hell. A lot of people had to watch the, the witch and now the lighthouse with subtitles only, which is ironic because you know, the whole thing, but, uh, they have to use subtitles because they just didn't know what the hell they were saying, which is, uh, a, um, it's an inspired choice and I'm glad he does it. Cause it's not very accessible, you know, which is good. Yeah. And, and the, and I mean, like we've talked about even with, with midsummer and, uh, stuff like that. I mean, there's, the in in the movies like um the acolyte on netflix and stuff is that what it was called acolyte or what is that the, oh apostle i'm sorry apostle. apostle great movie too yes so i mean it, this was kind of another one of those movies that i think kind of brought about this kind of folk horror this kind of um almost witch type horror that i think has become kind of seemingly prevalent um in uh recent years like you know it's it seems like in past decades it's been you know slashers serial killers where it seems like you know the 2010s i really think of as being and this is kind of a broad thing but i think of it really as like a supernatural horror decade you know what i mean like we had the conjuring we had insidious paranormal activity uh the witch you know, some of the movies we're going to get into still, but I mean, it's just, it felt more supernatural, even it, you know, than, um, you know, slasher and, and, uh, kind of, you know, the decades before that, where it was more saw and, you know, remake hell. And, uh, you know, we were kind of stuck in that, that decade, um, through the two early two thousands. So I don't know. I just think that this was one of the movies that I, I mean, the, the witch, really surprised me and it, it, it is and it's the it, it's the movie that i credit with giving me kind of an, a more open outlook on like this indie horror because really i was not a huge fan um up until you know at this point really so sure it, well it, like i said it follows but yeah yeah it's very uh exciting to see his you know his career because i mean he's got the northman which i believe is filming within the next couple of weeks um, and I, th- I just think he does, um, like you said, atmosphere. That's what he, I think he excels in. And he knows how to move a camera. And you've got, yeah, I mean, you've got great performances in that movie from, I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy, that was kind of her, like, breakout-ish, was her role as uh, Thomason, I believe the name was. Yes, yes. And then you got what, you got, oh, what is her name? I mean, you've got, the, well, the, 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 the mother and father, I forget their names. Dale Dickey is one of them. And uh, I forget the other guy's name, but he's very good. They're very they 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 seem like a natural fit within that world too. It's fantastic, good cast. Yeah, I, mean, I see them all the, the time now. It's great. The 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 characters were great, and yeah, you felt really it felt really believable, and yeah, it just it was. I don't, there's something too about period piece horror that just sucks me in, which is why I do want to see the lighthouse because that's that's like it's late good. 1800s like or early. And I said Dale Dickey. I meant Kate Dickey and Ralph Ineson. They're very good. Uh. Um, but yeah, no, I, I recommend the lighthouse. I rented it on Amazon or on iTunes and it's, uh, it's very good. It's, uh, you know, I just, it was one of those things where it's like, no one's making movies like him, you know, which is, I, there's a lot of 
people out there who you could say that no one makes movies like them. And almost all of these filmmakers are in the horror genre, which says a lot. Think about that. That's nice. Um, okay, is that me next? Yeah, jump in. This I'm excited for this next movie because it's, uh, it's another Blade Job approved movie. Yeah, this is a... Oh, man. Um, so, this... <laughs> This is, speaking of directors, writer-directors, no one's making movies like them. This is, from 2015, this is S. Craig Zoller bringing him back with his debut, Bone Tomahawk, which which it took me a while to realize that S. Craig Zoller is a novelist as well. He writes, yes. in fact, his next movie, Hug Chicken Penny, is supposed to be an adaptation of his own novel, which is kind of like a young adult-ish novel, which is interesting. <clears throat> but, um... <clears throat> God damn. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk is wonderful because it mashes the two genres of Western and horror uh, pretty beautifully. I mean, definitely when you take it as a kind of like a one and second half, I mean, you kind of get two different movies. Um, S. Craig Zoller, he has this because he's a novelist and he, he his dialogue for all of his movies is I'm not going to say it's for everybody. A lot of people would probably find kind of be turned off by it's kind of how the hell do you explain his dialogue kind of. Um, it's it's very it's it's hard to describe what his dialogue is it's kind of matter-of-factly kind of it's all statements it's all kind of it almost seems like it's trying too hard to sound i hate to use the word novelly but it is uh i think you and i love it though it's just band, you know and friend of the show x x blade jobber ryan tarikoff he's also a huge fan of him of course yeah i mean in blade or i'm sorry bone tomahawk is is like it's literally like i before this came out, I was searching for this movie forever. And what I mean is, like, I was searching for this type of movie, like, my whole life. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's, like, like all I wanted like in a, a movie. mixture? Like, a mixture of, like, uh, like, that kind of blending of genres? Or, like, what do you mean you've been waiting for? Like, what have you been waiting well, for? Well, like, a, just a, 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 like, an insanely gritty, yeah. visceral, bloody Western because I feel like the West, and, and the closest thing that really came to it was, I remember, because I actually had seen this first, was, um, did you ever see The Revenant? Of course I've seen The Revenant from 2015. So, remember, Come on, remember at here. the beginning of The Revenant, the massacre scene? Of course. I mean, that was horrifying, I thought. It was very yeah, viscerally well violent. Done. And I was like, oh my god, I, is there anything else like this where it's just like, you know, this insanely brutal portrayal of the American West. Um, and there really isn't, I mean, as far as I, I've come across, there, there's not a ton. And, and Bone Tomahawk, um, I mean, while it's ex- extremely exaggerated in, in a sense, but I think it does portray just the wildness of, you know, how violent the West was. Because even the gun violence is pretty crazy and stuff. And, and, and there's several scenes that are, um, stomach churning is that a pr- appropriate term for one scene in particular? Absolutely. But y- yes. before I forget, I mean, Zoller, his his movies to me, um, and maybe I just see it my own way, but his movies seem to kind of toe the line between realistic and fairy tale in the way that it's like it's uh, I want to call it a heightened reality. I mean, and one thing I love about his movies, and all of his movies have this kind of tone to it, but they all have a whenever anything violent happens, it comes out of fucking nowhere. There's no, the way that he shoots it, the way he directs it, is the violence is so, again, matter of fact, it just happens. 
no part of it. There's no build-up to it. It doesn't linger on it. It's just, it happens. It's just a part of life for these characters and for the film. Um, and I, I, you know, it's 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 great to see because he's done what Cell Block and or Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine, and then dragged across cron- dragged across concrete since then. And both of those other movies have had these exact. He, again, this is a guy who no one makes movies like him. He has a, a he's an auteur. He has a, a style and a voice that is all his own. As weird as that is to say, but. And it's, no, it's great. It's great to see his movies since Bone Tomahawk, and see that he has not stopped that at all. It's very consistent through his whole filmography. Yeah, and, and everything from I mean, you can you I know you know this, and you can speak to it probably more. But I mean, from his camera style to even his movie posters, it's very uh, aesthetically from that seventies. Absolutely, uh, it, it's like a he's he's doing like grindhouse cinema without the kind of cliche that death proof and planet terror and machete have he's he's doing like kind of modern exploitation um in the same vein as like the the 70s greats you know what i mean yeah i mean this is first especially in brawl and sub like 99 he's kind of emulating 70s grindhouse action which you know action of course being a not the same kind of action you expect like but it's um, yeah, you know, just the way that it that that kind of navigates itself. It's incredible. Yeah, very good. And even I love Bo- all this movie so much. Yeah, even even Bo Tomac, like you said, the violence comes out of nowhere. But the difference is, you know, in the seventies when you watch a spaghetti western, it's extremely violent and it comes out of nowhere. Similarly, but there's the the the, the gore and like the blood. It's, it's so grisly. much more it's intense. A, it's a good grisly again. It's a great. It's a good motif for this episode. But it, it, yeah, he does grisly violence. It makes you want to yeah. rewind it and go back and watch it again. That's what we do. That's yeah. we've done that many times. Yeah. Now this was another one that was going to be an honorable mention for me because it's it's up there and it has the cannibal aspect too, which definitely puts it into the horror kind category of for me. Stuff. Yeah. No. It's yeah. Uh, man. Yeah. The whole movies. And I mean, and that was you know the beginning. That was a. The breakout of a new voice, you know. I mean, it's just it, no one really was making movies like that, and now he's on the docket, and now, you know, we have this uh, this genius. I think he's, a, I would consider him a genius. I mean, I know again, his movies are absolutely one hundred percent not for everybody. I know a lot of people will see this and think, you know, be very turned off by the way he tells stories and his dialogue and the violence, of course. But uh, yeah. for Blade Job, you know, approved, approved, approved. All right, speaking of movies that I guess maybe aren't for everybody, I, this movie kind of got some controversy, I guess, after we covered it. We didn't really cover it, but we talked about it. And uh, um, it's it's just one of those things that I almost didn't include on the list because I'm not even sure what... The more times I've watched it, um, I don't really... I, it's still, I still love it, but I don't, I'm, I'm finding new things about it every time, and that is Hereditary. Um, Ari Aster, I know you're an Aster head. I am. I'm an Aster head for sure. Till I die. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but Hereditary from was it 2018? Uh, correct. 2017. 2018. Uh, it, you know, it's it's just one of those movies that really stuck with me, kind of like The Witch. But I think it's the what I think I really liked about this, and I think what a lot of people's big problem was, was that. It was like a slow build, but then it kind of ended uh, what I think a lot of people have called like cliche horror. 
you know, and I and I look at that and I think that that's probably why I loved it so much because, you know, if it had gone a slow burn and then it just ends with a bunch of like, uh, you know, it didn't kind of have that ramping up of the chaos in the end. Sure. Which I, I think is kind of Aster's style, is to keep it slow burn, slow burn, and then chaotic third act. I mean, do you, have you kind of noticed that with Hereditary and uh, I have. Midsommar? Um, and if I may, I think a lot of people are turned off. This movie is, um, what's the word? There's There are a few movies that I've seen. There are a few movies that have been released that, are, that handle dread as much as hereditary it's just a dread-filled movie with every character is just in a has shit happen not like slashers where everybody everything goes wrong for all these characters but this is like real life shit that you cannot even imagine and this the sense of dread hanging over each character um i think a lot of people are kind of turned off by that because unlike you and me a lot of people don't like leaving a movie feeling like shit i, I love that i love what i go to movies to feel shit you know i like to feel like shit I want to feel, you know, scared and all that. I mean, obviously, people want to go and get scared. Otherwise, horror movies wouldn't exist. And, you know, so. But I think Hereditary is, a, it goes beyond horror to kind of, you know, it, it gets under your skin with this, you know, I keep using the word dread, but that's really what it is. I mean, it's just every, every there's no part of this movie that has any hope in it. No one has any redemption. Uh, just how we like it. Oh, I love it. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's like. I, I, I kind of started hating the comparisons to The Shining the more that I, you know, longer, more I, more times I had seen it and the more that I kind of thought about it more. Um, but you know what? The more, now that I kind of do think about it, I mean, I think that it, this movie invoked probably a similar response uh, to yeah. what people would have felt in The Shining in 1980, where it's just what the fuck is this, you know, and it goes from surreal to visceral to slow to chaotic violence, it was just, it kind of had a lot of stuff going on, and I don't know if it'll be deemed a classic, maybe it's too soon to tell, but I don't know, it's a movie that really, really, kind of like The Witch, that, you know, it just really stuck with me more than I thought it would, um, and, you know, I, I think it really, and, and, and this is something that I don't know if a lot of people think, but I think it did a good job of of satisfying the indie horror fan, but I think it also had a lot of conventional horror in it. Yes, it's very, uh, like you said, uh, dreadful, uh, very, like, nihilistic, but I, you know, I think it, it, it played into enough of the kind of, commercial horror that i think that's why i think i really loved it it wasn't just a you know uh cinematography slow burn type movie like it had it wasn't the witch you know it it had some like just the ending alone i think is enough for the casual horror fan to get onto because it's legit scary it's legit violent it has legit good special effects yes some of the dialogue and choices are possibly questionable but you know it's a horror movie and i think that it's like are you gonna overthink it or are you just gonna enjoy it and i think this movie kind of lets you do both depending on where you're coming from yeah i mean to kind of expand on the idea of this dread i mean a lot of like slasher movies i think a lot of people kind of they look at that they think that i mean 
to you know get into someone's mind but they kind of think it'd be, i think it'd be fun to be part of that because then i get to you know kill the bad guy you know i get to figure it and fake out and do make better choices but the, the, the things the characters go through in, in this guy's movies there's not any part of anybody that wants to feel and wants to go through those kind of you know those kind, no. of, kind of trauma um there's just no hope there you know and and I, the great Quentin Tarantino once uh, controversially recently said that he doesn't really think of you're not a real director unless you direct your own scripts. And perhaps I've said that on, on the podcast before, but he thinks only writer directors, those who direct their script of their own writing, uh, is a true director. And so Ari Aster kind of has that advantage of you know just all of the stuff that we just talked about, the dread, the kind yeah. of, and I like the ending and the kind of um, cultish through, you know, I like, I'm a sucker for stories that involve an evil that has gone kind of like in um, paranormal activity an evil that has been established for a while. And it, uh, that kind of seeps through generations. I like that a lot, but yeah. what I'm saying is, uh, Aster kind of has all of this. It's from the mind of Ari Aster, which of course, if you see the guy, if you see pictures and in, in interviews, he looks like, is a he scary? No, it's the opposite. He looks like a dorky nerd. He reminds you of Jeremy Saulnier, who uh, Saulnier, who uh, we'll, I'll talk to you about in a minute in my honorable mentions. But he, you look at him and you think, this guy, this is the guy that comes up with all this like grisly violence. It's cool. I like, yeah. that. I, I like, I like that kind of thing. I so, do too. Yeah, uh, Hereditary is good, and it's very similar to um, uh, Midsummer, or I guess Midsummer, but I refuse to pronounce it that way. It's awful. It's Midsummer. Yeah. Uh, again, same same voice. It's like Zoller, where like there's the same that, that hereditary voice runs rampant through uh, Midsummer. I know maybe not to the way you like it to be, but uh, I think it is. No, I mean it there. does, and I think I need to give Midsummer another go. I know it's on Amazon now. Um, I'm gonna give it another <laughs> shot, Steve, just for you, <laughs> just for the podcast, just so maybe I can give it another take. Because you know, like Hereditary, that, that's kind of the thing with Hereditary too. You know, I watched it. I, I was in love with it. I watched it a second time. I was a little lukewarm on it. And then I watched it a third time. And then I was like, okay, I was, you know, it, it's it's good. <laughs> so, I mean, I think Astor's movies maybe perhaps warrant a couple watches. It's not my favorite. You know, I don't like when you have to watch a movie a few times. But, sure. You know, unless you really love it. <laughs> but... right, we, we will make you an head soon enough. I mean, okay. I just, I'd rather I, be I, an egghead. I want to be an egghead. I want to be an egghead. Both of them have made two movies so far, you know, so they're kind of neck and neck here. And, and you know who wins with that kind of thing? We all do. We, we all win. Uh, well, these are two, two very young, very good, um, yeah. you know, uh, names in horror uh, that I really you know, It's very exciting. Before before we get into our last two movies of the decade, let, let's go through our honorable mentions just real quick, just like a a quick line per movie. Sounds good. Yeah, hit hit some of yours up real quick. All right, so I've got three here, and I'll give you the the, the highlighted one. I've got three here. I'm gonna run right through again. Jeremy Saulnier did uh, Green Room. That's a movie. That's is it horror? Okay. I, it's in my honorable mentions because I don't, I don't know if I would consider it horror. Um, it, it's just it's a kind Thrilling. of like a thriller, yeah, terror, yeah. a thriller. But it kind of it obviously it's blade job approved for the violence. Um, yeah. Know, and rest in peace, Anton Yelchin. Man, what a what a what a talent. Yeah. Uh, and gone, but shout out to uh, you know, uh, Picard. Is, yeah, uh, that's right. The neo Nazi. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. A great role, a great counter yeah. role for him. Fantastic. Yeah, um, very, very good. The next one I've got here. This is again not a horror. I don't know why I wrote this. I'm just I love it so much. That's the night comes for us. Um, when it comes to action, violent action, 
you got Bollywood, but I think what's even better right now, a bigger resurgence is Indonesian with the raid, the raid two, the night comes for us headshot. The night comes for us is probably the most violent movie I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, which is amazing. See, I believe we talked about this on when we all first watched this. I think Ryan was on the show too. And I believe you guys should on me because I was not as into the night comes for us. And we, we I don't want to get into it on this one, but yeah, it just, I mean, it was extremely violent. But I fucking love this movie, and I it watched just was it something times. about it. It just maybe because I was under the influence of stuff, and it just it looked it looked weird to me. The violence, it looked sure. like a almost it's, like it's, a uh, computer animated video game violence. It's extremely heightened for sure. It's uh, fairy tale like, but yeah. And then lastly, I feel like we got, we have to have a woman's voice here, the Babadook. That's directed by Jennifer Kent, written and directed by Jennifer Kent, and again. Uh, strictly writer director and aussie she has uh, a great voice i like the babadook a lot but her recent movie she just came out with a follow-up to the babadook called um Ooh. jesus christ why am i flicking on its name i didn't even um, know there was a follow-up oh my god it's not a horror movie at all it's um oh I, oh, I, oh, I, oh. I, I hate that i'm just uh blinking on that name right now jennifer kent i just freaking well. saw it it's called the nightingale the nightingale oh okay um it is a it's very brutal but more because it's got very several scenes of very harsh rape in it um but it is a very powerful movie it's 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 a lot more australian it takes place in the kind of australian uh, out out back but the forests of australia back in well it's more tasmania in like 1835 around there 1825 um it's very i recommend it it's very very good it's very violent um, anyway, The Babadook was her first movie that was her breakout. I need to give a shout out to that one because I think that is an important, you know, do I love it? No, but it's a very important horror movie over the past decade. It's kind of a welcoming voice. And it's all, then it's again allegorical, the depression, but then it welcomes a fantastic uh, kind of female voice to horror that we don't have a whole lot of. I mean, you got women like uh, Anna Lily Armapore, who, like, who did uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Midnight or at Night. And the Bad Batch. You've, so you've got yeah. some uh, women voices coming in here nicely. So, uh, it's, yeah. it's, again, it's a great time for horror. It really is. Yeah, and I got I got a few honorable mentions. I mean, these and these are movies that I just wanted to cover that um, were – I haven't seen them in forever, so I was hesitant to put them on my list, which is kind of a shame. But I do remember loving these through college. Um, first one, I read the book in high school. It's John Dies in the End. Um, really great, fun, horror comedy, splatter, super psychedelic. It's very, I don't, it's also directed by, uh, one of my favorite horror directors, Don Cassarelli, who, you know, created Phantasm, which is maybe my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, and, and saw that whole series over three decades of, of sequels, which I just love when that happens. Um, uh, he also he did a lot of other weird stuff, but yeah, John dies at the end. It's just super fun horror comedy. Uh, actually, has Paul Giamatti in it as a weird bit role. Um, not a bit role, but I mean a minor kind of side character who's throughout. But it's it's really fun. Uh, I I can't really explain it. It's kind of sci-fi horror zombie drug type movie. Very very fun though. Um, so, uh, another honorable mention I have is a movie called The Kill List. Um, are you familiar with this, Steve? I am. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you off the top of my head who directed this, 
who uh, starred in it or anything really like that. But that might be, it might be Ben Wheatley kill list. Maybe, but it's it's, it's early 2010s, maybe 2010, 2011, and it's 2011. It's just, it is Ben Wheatley. Yeah, yeah. It's just My it's man. a very like uh, it's it's a movie that I think also kind of maybe like uh, um, audition was kind of wanting to do was a movie that pretends not it's not a horror movie till the end. You know, you don't think it's a horror movie, and and it and it pretty much progresses as a uh, almost like gangster movie, uh, police procedural, until the very end, and it becomes very horrifying. And uh, it's it's just a great movie. Kind of also very similar to like the old Wicker Man, um, like a mystery that is kind of more of a drama police movie, and then with a snap, uh, it just goes surreal and horrific real fast. Um, and then just my last movie. Uh, I think that still really holds up was the, and this kind of, again, started off the decade, was the Evil Dead remake back in 2010. Um, saw it in college, and it just really stuck with me. And it's, uh, I mean, the effects in that movie, uh, you know, I think it's one of the movies that actually bonded Ryan and I back in college, was we both, ha- you know, we both kind of professed our love for practical effects and all of the actual uh prosthetics and and cutting off like you know fake limbs in that movie so i mean it's definitely a movie that stuck with me and it's it's an honorable mention for that reason because it was so and and it was it was very true to the original like I, i really enjoyed how it didn't stray too far from the original story but still made it feel fresh you know did you see the remake steve of uh, Evil Dead, yes, yes, percent. In fact, so a great, great segue here because that was directed by Fatty 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 Alvarez, who also directed a follow up to that, Don't Breathe, which is my number well, Ooh. my five of my top five. Uh, Don't Breathe, <laughs> which is uh, again, hey, it takes place in shot in Detroit. I mean, you know, I guess yes. for, better or, for better or worse, portrayed in this movie. Although I heard it was not really shot in Detroit, other than the abandoned building parts. Fair enough. Well, yeah, that's unfortunate. All the interiors were shot somewhere else, I thought I read, but... Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's a, that was to me when I knew that Fady, Fatty, Fatty Alvarez is a good voice, although apparently his uh, girl who kicked the hornet's nest isn't good, but... Oh, hey, is what it is. Um, but yeah, Don't Breathe is a great movie. It, it's got one of my uh, cinematic girlfriends, my cutie of this episode, Jane uh, Jane Levy, or Jane Levy. Yeah, I never know. Do you uh, want to give a cutie of the decade, Steve? Just uh, while we're talking about cuties. <laughs> does it have to be horror related? <laughs> uh, no. Cutie of the decade, probably uh, Alicia Vikander, one of the most beautiful men I've ever seen in my entire life. I'd have to look her up. I don't know if I know her off the top well, of my head. Well, she's married to Michael Fassbender, so I cannot compete with oh, that. So, unfortunately, okay. what are you going to do? What are you going to yeah. do? All right, Big Don't hog. Breathe. Yeah, exactly. Don't Breathe. Yeah, it's uh, just to run right through it. It's just a fantastic um, kind of thriller. Is it a horror movie? Uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's can, it can be contested, but uh, I think great use of camera work. I mean, great use of, although when I was in college, I had a playwriting class, and I wrote a story about three guy, three people who you know, who rob a bank and escape and hide in this dude's basement only to find out that he's like a vicious serial killer. And that's kind of similar to this movie to the point where I was, I remember seeing the trailer and I thought, oh shit, ass. Okay. You know, yeah. that's cool. That's great. Love that. 
There's a pretty um, wild twist in this movie, though. It is that very We shouldn't very say, good. but it is great. It's good. And it's a fantastic Stephen Lang performance as a blind, you know, the blind man who has dark yeah. secrets of his own. Oh, yeah. Yes. Great. Yes. I love Stephen Lang. So great movie. Um, I just think it's a good example of, you know, low budget kind of all in one place horror that isn't yeah. that's new and it isn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not like a haunted house movie, you know? No. Very good. Um, is there do you right. more honorable mentions real quick no. there's two there's two horror movies that i want to see still uh both are korean a is the wailing i don't remember the director's name unfortunately but that's a movie did you see the wailing uh i've started it it's it's so it's long very, Steve. it's it's i know it's very long it's like two and it's a like, half hours long i think it's two two hours 40 or it's around there yeah slow burn i do want to see it though i just hear it's incredible and then train to busan which is kind of a horror movie kind of like a zombie on a train um, in fact, the director has a new movie coming out or already out called Psychokinesis, I think. Um, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's another, you know, it's a. Those are Korean. 2C from the previous decade? 2C from the previous decade. You are correct. Yeah. Anyway, and that's All it. All right. All right. You ready for my number one of the decade? Yes. All right. So, yeah, the other ones were kind of a hodgepodge of my top four, but I think my absolute favorite of the decade. We've covered be, it on the show. Before you even say it right now, I think of all the movies on our on this on, on this this episode, I think this is the most um it's not for everybody. <laughs> no. This it's is the not. most inaccessible, <laughs> I think, by far. Go ahead. Yeah, and it is Mandy. Um, Panos Cosmatos. Cosmanos. Speaking it's, of it's... uh of uh the emergence of a new voice. And I mean, again, this is a movie that I think is the most inaccessible and it is the most unique of all the movies we've talked yes. about by far, even more and than I mean, I, I will say that this is, this is more accessible than beyond the black rainbow. Yeah. I've heard about that one. And you know what? If you want to listen to us talk about how accessible Mandy is, go back. We actually have a whole episode on it in the archives because we all watched it together and talked about it for, I don't know, fucking 45 minutes. So go listen to that. But, I mean, just in a snapshot, this movie, everything from soundtrack, violence, gore, fucking Nick Cage. Uh, it's just it's it's just a wild... It's not necessarily always fun, but it's just... I mean, you talk about someone who's not really making movies like anybody else. Panos is up there doing some wild stuff and uh yeah i mean this is a good example of it because i mean if i'm not mistaken the beyond the black rambo didn't really do well critically or financially although no, uh, a movie no, like that's not going to do well financially regardless but the, my point is it's a good example of you know you someone makes a not great movie you give them another chance which of course other people might consider that failing upwards but that's a whole other conversation but and then yeah. you come out with something like this you know that's a I, I hate to use these kind of like cliche um, like expressions, but this is you know an unapologetic vision, you know, completely yeah. vision of his own. More so, again, more so than anything on this list. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, go back and listen to our Mandy episode. It's back in there, but I mean, it's there, this movie just kind of hits everything for me. It has the old school aesthetic, seventies, eighties aesthetic, violence, music, quirkiness. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of bringing back B act B movie actors. You know, we got um, Bill Duke from Predator makes an appearance in here. Uh, we got axes. It's just we got like apocalyptic bikers. It's just it's got everything. It's kind of 
again, like kind of how Bone Tomahawk was. I mean, Mandy's kind of like a movie that I think I'd been searching for for a long time for someone to make or for something to be out there, you know. So uh, I just really loved it. And I mean, I guess, would you consider Mandy a horror movie? I mean, it, it, technically, but it's definitely a kind of a fan, yeah. fantasy, you know, it's, I, I yeah. would consider it what a fantasy prog rock metal horror. <laughs> so I mean, what the hell? How that's do you, how a do you beautiful describe that des- movie? That's a beautiful description, Steve. A fantasy it. metal prog rock horror. I, I, that is. It's the only write, way I can think of to describe that movie. That, that's beautiful. That's actually the beautiful, most beautiful way to describe it. That is a movie that, I mean, like, seriously, like, I think it's definitely everyone should check it out. But I, if someone were to see, I couldn't get five minutes in, I would say, fair enough. I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's this is a extreme, again, it's better than Beyond the Black Rainbow. Um, yes. There's actually some sort of coherentness to this, but this is an extremely yes. inaccessible movie. But it's there's nothing else like it, you know. It's it's nothing it else like it. It's like heavy metal, like those old that old eighties uh, animated movie. It's like if heavy metal became a cohesive type movie. Uh, that's that's how I would kind of describe it. But yes, also Steve's description of the prog rock metal surreal fever dream is accurate as well yeah it's a wonderful way to do it i'm telling you love it all right so we have one more thing before wrapping up this episode let's hit through it we got the blade jobbers of the decade let's 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 start with the horror director because we're kind of on the horror mode here sure um so there are many uh directors that you could consider um i mean for this decade and i'm talking i mean you've got You've got the Astors. You've got the uh, the, the Eggers. I mean, base, this is basically just some. James Wan was the one I had originally, but I thought even James. I Wan, thought you were going to go with Wan. I was he's surprised. probably he might even be a better option for this, but I just put. I still think Mike Flanagan um, is the one because at least James Wan has left horror to do. I mean, he's back now. He has a new horror movie this year called Malignant, uh, but. The new low budget malignant, but he left at one point to do Furious Seven and then Aquaman, which, for the record, I love Aquaman. I think the movie kicks ass. I think it's way better than people think it is. Anyway, Mike Flanagan, he's a guy who has never left his horror roots, baby. He's, that is his, nice. His humble beginnings in Oculus, uh, all the way through. I mean, you've got um, Gerald's Game, Doctor Sleep. Did he do Nineteen Twenty Two? No. But uh, but then he also you know went on the TV to Haunting of Haunting Hill House, of Hill House the, which the was up, very good. The upcoming Bly Manor because the Haunting of Hill House is an anthology, so the next season at Bly Manor, all different cast. Um, and and I, for that. I really appreciate uh, Flanagan's style of being, you know, like I think we've talked about this where you're, he has a very artistic style, he does. but he also knows how to play it commercial and you know kind of make everybody happy, which I think is. He's extremely kind comfortable of in He's a very yeah. he's a very confident filmmaker too, and you can tell. I mean, there's not there's no his movies, in my opinion, don't really have much filler. Is it, that's what I mean no. by by confident? Every single shot. I mean, people casual audiences may think, well, you you know, if it's in the movie, it's obviously intentional, and that's of course true. But um, there's a kind of a difference between like think of like Tarantino. I mean, there's probably no more co- no more confident person alive in filmmaking than like him and maybe Scorsese or you know. Um, but the point is, uh, 
Mike Flanagan. I mean, he's you're right. He has a very recognizable. You call that an auteur, somebody who has kind of a recognizable style that is persistent. Yes. And uh, you can absolutely consider Mike Flanagan as an auteur because he's kind of got that kind of like a greenish bluish tint uh, through all of his movies, and he deals with a lot of again dread and kind of mental mental terrors as well as physical terrors. Um, and uh, you know, he's, I, I have not seen Dr. Sleep yet, although I, I, I know I haven't just, either. I think it just went streaming like today, but apparently it has, um, like a director's cut, which adds a lot more time to it. And apparently that's like a way better movie even still than it does. Um, people are saying that like the movie would pretty was, was amazing, but the, this director's cut's like a masterpiece. Like it's, you know, a lot better. Huh. So that's good to know. Right. Um, I think yeah. it's like three hours long now because of that, but Hey, you know, whatever. Well, I saw, you know I saw, what? I, you know, I saw Endgame three times in theaters, so I put if I can put nine hours into Endgame in theaters, then I can watch three hours. Of if anything's going to be three hours, can we please just make it a miniseries at this point? Yeah, but that's what Haunting of Hill House is. See, there you go. Yeah. You're right. Mike Flanagan making everybody happy. You're right. See? I'm telling you. All right. Well, let's get to the blade jobber of the decade, the wrestler of the decade. Uh, we talked about kind of how the blood left you know, in the 2010s, um, and it was kind of hard to find. We really, I had to do some digging to find those bloody wrestling matches. But, you know, the blade jobber of the decade, it's going to John Moxley, uh, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, actually more commonly known as Dean Ambrose through the 2010s. Um, you know, started out 2010, Combat Zone champ. From there, signed the WWE, Florida Championship Wrestling, the Shield debuts in 2012. From there, he's wrestling in WrestleMania. Eventually ends up quitting the company right before the end of the decade, joining up with the upstart AEW, New Japan. But, I mean, Steve, this is like our type of guy. From bloody wrestling, you know, we've covered a John Moxley match. Remember the match with the, the saw blade to the forehead? Right. You with me over there, Steve? Sorry, you cut out a bit, so I couldn't hear you, but yes. I'm oh, with you. <laughs> the, the saw blade to the forehead, John ah, Moxley match. Yes, of So, course. you know, he went from that to WrestleMania, you know, the ultimate family-friendly fe- wrestling, and now he's going back to deathmatch, blood sport wrestling, and you know what? I think that's why he is our... He's like a real blade job hero, and, you know, he John Moxley is the blade jobber of the decade, in terms of wrestling because of that from the bloody beginnings of 2010 to the bloody endings of 2019 and all of the dumb shenanigans in the middle uh it's a perfect story so i think with that that's our best of the decade i can't wait until next decade man yeah it's <laughs> 2030 best of the 20 best of the 20s the roaring 20s it's cute of you to think that a movie theaters will be will exist in ten years, and b they won't all just be Disney movies anyway, which I'm all about. But you know, I'm a shill, so it is what it is. Yeah, well, you know, I think this is a, this is a long episode, but it's a fun episode. I like doing this. Yeah, um, I'm excited to, that once um, the new Doctor Strange is out in 2021, then I can talk about that here because it's kind of a horror. I mean, this it's supposed to be a horror movie, but they just left uh the scott derrickson who also has had a great t- past 10 years of, of horror movies he left the project so the movie is now oh. directorless uh interesting interesting so i think i think the thinking is that because marvel originally wanted they, they called it the first this one dr strange and the multiverse of madness the first true marvel horror movie 
Well, huh. apparently now they kind of backtracked, and I think a lot of what the issue was is that uh, Scott Derrickson wanted it to really be a horror movie, and Disney's kind of like, well, maybe not, and then he's like, all right, well, I'm out of here. So Yeah, I'd be curious to see what Disney's idea of kind of a horror <laughs> movie is, but we'll, eh. we'll save that for another episode. We will see. All right, well, like us on everything, comment, review... Uh, anything else we they, we need our listeners to do, Steve? Did you, did you want to shout out to somebody earlier? Is that? I shouted I, out to Cassie. Was I supposed to shout out to somebody else? Maybe. I guess we'll talk about it after the fact. We can save it for next episode. I thought there was somebody who shouted us out, and then you were like, we'll shout out you too. Oh, that was Axe Slash or the band. I mentioned them in the Deathgasm when I was talking about Deathgasm. Yeah, uh, shout out to uh, Axe Slasher. They're a thrash metal band out of, I believe, Denver. Uh, kind of like comedy, I'm not going to say comedy metal, but you know, they sing about satanic pizza and shit, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I think, I believe they have kind of some gore effects in their live show. Check them out on Instagram, act slasher. Uh, yeah, they gave us a shout out on their Instagram, which was pretty tight. So much appreciated. Um, I I went to Denver once and I saw three, three car accidents in one day walking around. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's my Denver activity for you. Well, on that note, is there anything else we want to let's add? Let's get out of here. All right, we'll digest, see you guys in a couple about. weeks. We love you also, goddamn much. Keep listening. All right, later. Peace out. Bye.